It's January 22, 2008, and I'm Peter Rukavina. Prince Edward Island entrepreneur Kevin O'Brien and I sat down over lunch today at the Noodle House in Charlottetown for the first of several conversations about Island Services Network, the internet company that Kevin founded in 1994. ISN is about to be acquired by Eastlink, and when the deal is concluded, Kevin will exit the internet business and PEI will be left, for the first time in 14 years, without an island-owned independent internet provider. I was co-conspirator with Kevin in the early days of ISN, and I've been a customer since day one, so please consider the conversations that follow to be more subjective oral history than rigorous journalism. Note as well that our conversation was recorded on my mobile phone in a noisy restaurant, so at times you may have to listen extra carefully to make us out. I think we're recording. Why don't you begin by introducing yourself? Why don't I? I'm Kevin O'Brien, soon to be the former owner of Island Services Network, I guess. Best way to say it. Okay. Well, I asked you here today because I've been an ISN customer. I think I was ISN customer number one. Will you grant me that? Either you or your wife. Although I don't think I ever paid for anything, so maybe oh. I'm technically not a customer. No, I think I think I think I got paid. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so there's been some changes that you've gone through, and I wanted to talk to you about them, and I thought we might as well let the world hear. So you wanted to start with sort of the current snapshot of affairs. Well, the current in in the shortest form is that uh, uh, there's a sale agreement um, to be signed either today or tomorrow um, with Eastlink for the purchase of ISA. So that's the that's the short of it. And does that mean that ISN is going to be uh, consumed into Eastlink or is that knowledge beyond you at this point? A little bit beyond, but I talked to them about the preservation of uh, uh, email addresses yeah. and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I they would have bought all the assets, though, including uh, ISN.net. Yes, ISN.net and Island Services Network. And, and PEI.net? No, I'm retaining PEI.net. Congratulations. Um, they uh, they will be using... Uh, they, they, they generally, when they do this sort of thing, they generally grandfather uh, the domains and email addresses that people were used to, and they never really ask them to change them. But if you drop an ISN address... Uh, after their ownership and then went back, I would assume you would not get it back. Right, right. And do you know anything about whether they plan to continue to offer dial-up service or not? Or? Actually, yes, because they bought a, uh, a dial-up ISP uh, in Ontario or Quebec, and they, uh, for the first time, now have dial-up capacity, so they're going to use that those facilities to maintain the ISN dial-up service. Okay, just gatewaying local numbers to that facility or something like that. And about four to ten of our dial-up customers are actually within their high-speed service area, and I think there'd be some kind of incentives to try to get people to move over. But I understand that if people insist, they won't have to give up their ISN address to do that. And this all has happened? Is about to happen? Uh, It's not signed yet, but there there are absolutely no obstacles in in place, and... uh, and, uh, you know, I have an actual. I have actually have an obligation to sign this. We can we can probably talk about that. I start by talking about what has gone on in the last 18 months. Well, just before we run to that, if I if this is the first I've heard of this, and I'm an ISN customer, and I'm freaking out because I'm afraid my service is going to go away, who do I call to ask about it? Well, you dial 892-4-ISN. Yes, and. Uh, Whoever answers the phone will be the person to deal with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but I shouldn't call you at home. <laughs> Not unless it's to pay an old bill. <laughs> okay. Which, which, which 
in the deal is my problem. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, let's then talk about more. We'll, we'll, we'll later on. We'll talk about the the dark, uh, far away past. But let's talk about the recent past. Uh, how we how we got to this point. Then. Yeah. Uh, Exitel company from Quebec, uh, and Exit. Uh, technologies. Exit Technologies is an engineering firm, electrical engineering firm, and Exitel Communications is their internet wing. Um, uh, they won a, an RFP, a long process RFP that was issued one and then reissued and won again, this time by Exitel, to provide a dark fiber network to the province. Just people don't quite understand Darth Fiber. They think it's something from Darth Vader. Um, I, I thought it was fiber that was colored black instead yeah. of white. So it simply means that you get to put the light bulb on each end of it. And it is the most flexible possible type service to have. So the provincial government now, when they want to go to, they'll start off at, they, they were planning to start at one gigabit on that network, which is very, very fast. Uh, they'll probably, I think it's, it's lit now, and I think it's uh, running perhaps three gigabits, but in the future, they'll want to go to 10, 20, or 100 gigabits. So, so the idea here is that Exitel, in plumbing terms, yeah. installed the copper pipe, but is not a water provider. That's right. And you rent your own water, and Exitel maintains the pipes if they leak. Or the internet is pipes. And, right. And, and, and the it's actually tubes, I've heard. Tubes, tubes. And, and, uh, and the, new, the, new, the, new, uh, the new paradigm there is plumbing and porcelain. Right. And Exitel provides the plumbing, and the province does the porcelain. Okay. And that means they never have to go back Every time they want to lift the seat and renegotiate a contract the way it used to be. Right. To so and this, this is uh, something that is intended ultimately to be the, the province's telecommunications network. It is in every school. It's in every government office that's within reach. The rest of them are going to be uh, connected up to it later. Uh, and these were all the trucks that we saw around Charlottetown and the island this summer. I was very proud of our capacity to create traffic jams. I'm sorry to take Nash. <laughs> now, when you say we, uh, this is Exitel doing this, but what is the involvement of you and well, ISN? At that time, I was, uh, I was uh, intending to be a full partner with uh, approximately a 25 share in the new company. We named it ISN Wireless. I was very proud that the other directors uh, agreed to that name. And was, was, it, uh, was it the new company that won the RFP, or was it Exitel? It was Exitel. Okay. But you see, the, the, there's, there's, uh, uh, to do that, uh, all they had to do was just put a bigger fiber cable than the province required right. and, and pay the difference in cost. And, uh, and, the, uh, and then all of a sudden, we had an island-wide fiber network, which is a very exciting thing. So instead of running one set of copper pipes, you ran two with, with the right to use the second pipe for right. whatever you like. Which we would sell as lit fiber. Right, uh, right. And, and, and shared bandwidth. And, and could sell to consumers or to wholesalers, presumably, or uh, you could sell it as wholesale to other retailers. Yes, and uh, um, I, uh, I know that Exitel has, uh, has uh, deployed fiber to the home on a test basis, and I would very much expect that in some community or communities in Prince of Island, that's probably going to happen in the next in the next few years. So just so I understand, Exitel won an RFP to provide the provincial government with an unlit fiber network for its own purposes, and then a in a separate but related uh, arrangement, Ruranet, which 
maybe we can talk about in a second, sure. and ISN, a, a, a heritage internet company, heritage and, internet company, and, and Exitel came together yeah. and uh, to make use of uh, a second set of capacity run on the on the through the same pipe, exactly. so to speak. And I want to say something too. Uh, the first time I met the president of uh, Exitel, uh, Robert Fu, I was expecting something quite different than than the man I actually met. Uh, he had a uh, he had a, a far less corporate uh, sense about him than than what you typically find in the industry at that level. And he understood the need to work with communities, work with local uh, businesses like my own. And you mentioned Burnett, and we can talk a little more about them later. Um, and he he uh, he has a really interesting approach and a really interesting model, which is um, the overhead on it is very low by comparison to traditional models. And the way it respects individuals and communities tends to be a little bit more favorable to the, the kind of culture that the internet actually is at the lower levels, despite what it appears to be. At the higher levels, which is this high. Well, would this explain in part why Exitel just wouldn't do this on its own? Absolutely. Because presumably they weren't going to win big political points on any level by engaging with ISN. No, but they're no, and they're but they're a huge. They're 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 not a huge company, but they're a very capable company. And if they had come, wanted to come in here and go go head to head against myself and Warren and all that, uh, it, it would have been they would have been a tougher fight uh, than the, the other large right. providers. So. Uh, for them to come in and, and uh, open the doors and welcome us in, and, you know, and and uh, as I say, approximately a 25% share in, in a company that has access to pretty near a 500-kilometer fiber network, um, the, it's it's hard to describe it as anything other than generous, and that's a very rare rare uh, characteristic. Now, now, this was an arrangement that was uh, uh, the engagement happened. The engagement was uh, was announced. Publicly, with some fanfare last year, mm. uh, but the relationship was never consummated, so to speak. Is that well, accurate? It, or? It, it got to the point where, on the 10th or 11th of December, I actually saw the final deal. And then I had a legal obligation at that point to inform Eastlink that I had a bona fide offer on the table because of a contract that I signed with Eastlink back in 2001 to get access to their high speed network. And I'd like to talk a bit more about that part too later. But uh, when I got when I got to, when I got the high speed, they had a right of first refusal if I was to either sell ISN or move a significant portion of the assets. I really thought they'd tell me to go pound sand, and instead they seemed quite happy uh, to to exercise their rights. And, uh, there's some disappointment that I don't get to be shit in the internet business for another decade, but uh, it's it's also a really good time. So suffice to say that when this happened in December, this was an unanticipated, unbelievable thing, unanticipated. Right. And and uh, to to be to be really honest about it, it has created uh, some some tension within the ISN wireless ranks, uh, which I regret. Uh, but I can't imagine that there was another option. I mean, you have a legal obligation, you don't execute it, you could lose everything. So the intent is not that uh, the ISN that has been acquired or will be about to be required or acquired by Eastlink will be a partner in ISN wireless. I, 
Not under your guidance. No, not under my guidance, but I did uh, in discussions with Eastlink, which I had extensively in the last couple of weeks, tried to open the door to that possibility. I think a partnership between Eastlink and ISN Wireless or XSL would be a uh, formidable company. Uh, the, the, the qualities, the tremendous qualities that you find in, in Exitel and Exit, uh, the other engineering company, and the, uh, the strength of the ISN brand in, in this province, uh, plus Eastlink's credible resources, uh, I can't imagine how that could be uh, anything but, but, a, but a, a fright to any other competitors. But it's your understanding at this point that ISN Wireless will continue to be called ISN Wireless, even though it has nothing to do with the other ISN. I see on your notes here two ISNs. Yeah, exactly. I incorporated that company, and then turned it over to the to the to the intended directors according to the, to the memorandum of understanding. And so ISN Wireless Incorporated owns the rights to the ISN Wireless name, and ISN Internet Incorporated owns the rights to the ISN Internet name and Island Services Network and ISN those sorts of brands. So those brand names are going to go to Eastlink, and, and uh, I was a little surprised uh, that uh, that Exitel and Ruinet decided to go ahead with the ISM wireless name. But uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm very proud that they are. It's, uh, it's a little confusing, and there may be some confusion in the market. It certainly wasn't a deliberate thing, but that's the way the chips fall, and, and I suppose that strategically speaking, um, Eastlink may want to keep the Island Services Network name alive. Um, and, well, History would suggest, given Bicor uh, and PINet and Interhop and et cetera, et cetera, that and that Dara. That, that, uh, that old brand names go off to die when they get acquired. So Canadian Gateway. Yeah, old yeah. brands do go off to die, but. I, I won't make any predictions, but it does seem that there's some traction to keep the ISN name alive now, especially yeah. since two players want to use it. Right. But I mean, on on another level, uh, I mean, speaking as a customer, I suppose, when I think the the strength of the ISN brand must have something to do with you, too. I mean, ISN without, uh, it's like the British government in World War II without Churchill. It still has a good brand, but... Yeah, uh, I guess I had to be a bit of a bulldog to survive. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's a good brand, but I, I really think that the strength of the brand came from those people in PEI, beginning with yourself, who saw, particularly at that time, uh, the early days of internet in the province, that that uh, to have something controlled locally was a far better option than to have been controlled by someone else, and there's no question about it that ISN brought a level of competition in the market that made a huge difference. Uh, it, I would boldly say that ISN has benefited every single internet user in Prince Edward Island, whether or not they ever did business with ISN. The simple reason that we were there, we were taken seriously, and competitors had to respond. They didn't do as well. <laughs> yeah. Talk before we leave uh, this part of this conversation, just talk about Ruranet maybe as as a, a part of that triumvirate, and and what they brought to it and what what that means. Wayne Phelan is an incredible, interesting man. Uh, he was quite a hockey player in his younger days, and uh, and as he said to me, he lost his arm to hockey. He had uh, 
had cancer in the, in the shoulder area and uh, kept playing through, uh, through a long playoff season when his team was being successful and kept trying to uh, medicate what he thought was just a sore arm. And he thinks he may have saved the arm if he hadn't gone that far. And uh, it's a man that never, ever complains about that. He lost his right hand and he was right-handed. Everything is now left-handed. He, he was spent some time in the hospital a few months ago from falling off a roof, putting an antenna. He's tenacious, he's direct, he's honest. He'll tell you exactly where you stand on, on every point at all times. He absolutely hates process. He does not like the, 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 the mundane nature of the business. He reminds me in some ways of myself when I first got out. And, and Ruronet has been for a while now in the business of wireless, wireless. proprietary wireless. And I would like to draw a, a very specific parallel here, naming names. There's a wireless provider up west, Group 2, that received $5.3 million worth of government money. And the system doesn't work and the management is uh, virtually absent when it comes to how they uh, manage this network or the, their, their uh, relationship with the customers. So we've heard from dozens and dozens and dozens, perhaps hundreds of their customers, and they only have a few hundred customers. In a year and a half, Wayne, with virtually no help, and two guys, one of whom can't climb a ladder, hooked up in the range of three to 400 customers. Uh, not, not in the same territory. No, in, 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 in the eastern end of the province. In the western end, they hooked up somewhere between five and 600 customers in four years with a choking gob of your tax money. And uh, it's, it's, it's another shameful black mark on the way uh, government has gotten involved in the internet business in Prince Edward Island, uh, the way they have handled the whole Route 2 thing. It is shameful, and there should be a full audit of the entire project. Well, e even separate and apart from that, that specific instance, it would be a very interesting thing to know from, let's say, day one in early 1990s, just how much money has gone into uh, I estimated that something in internet range, networks pretend are real. I estimated somewhere between 30 and 35 million dollars and not a penny of it to ISN. Not a penny. I'm very proud of that. Uh, there's been not a single tax dollar uh, put into ISN, any other form of fee-for-service. So the idea here, uh, going back to ISN Wireless, was that uh, you have this uh, capacity in the second strand of fiber that runs the width and breadth of the province. You have Euronet, which is, uh, has some history in providing wireless internet access to people. And you have ISN, which has a customer service uh, component to it. You combine the three of those then, and the idea is that you, you set up wireless transmitter receivers in various, at various points along the dark fiber network. Well, this would have been a great system. You imagine we would be providing high-speed internet over cable with, along with the con through the contract with uh, Eastlink, had they not exercised the option. We would have been providing wireless internet, uh, a self-stated uh, goal of having every community hooked up in three years, uh, and well, well ahead of schedule as far as I can tell right now on that. Uh, also, uh, running uh, fiber network from end to end where businesses, particularly those that have more than one location in Prince Edward Island, um, 
particularly those that have more than one location in Prince Edward Island, could make huge advantage of that network. A little bit expensive to connect to a fiber system, but once you're there, cost savings are incredible. And how does the, if I if I look at that, how that Exitel fiber network overlays the island, and then I compare it to what what else overlays the island, either from Alliant or from Eastlink, how does the sort of the three footprints do they overlap, or I mean, do we have three province-wide? Network of some description or another? Or? It's a funny thing. It's almost like a parallel universe. It depends on where the doors are. And so, yes, physically, those these fibers go in, 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 in pretty much the same path around the island. And yes, there are three different networks, but you could almost think of them as serving three separate islands because the access points to them, the points where you can actually attach a piece of fiber, are just, well, for, for two common users, it was determined incrementally over time as needs grew. And for, for Exitel's fiber, it was determined by the specific requirements of the RFP from the province. And so, in a sense, um, in a sense, there's three separate networks competing against each other, but in another sense, it really isn't that way because there's going to be only a small percentage of times where all three providers can provide exactly the same service anywhere near the same price in any given area. So, if my price to you is $10,000 and everybody else's price is $20,000. Well, that's not really, they're not really competing. And in another location, it may be the opposite. And the, and the difference in price then, if, if your doorway, as you say, it just happens to be 15 blocks away, that distance has to be bridged and that's where the, the cost comes in. So if I, if I want to start the Tignish branch office of reinvented uh, and I need dedicated connectivity, uh, the, the connectivity provider that I went to a lot of who I chose would have to do with whose endpoint in Tignish would be closest to my branch office and whose endpoint in, in uh, Charlottetown would be closest to my office. Is that yes, and plus the fact that uh, um, it would appear that uh, um, the different, the three different fiber providers um, have different uh, cross structures on bandwidth, and, and right, so right. That, that's also a factor. Yeah. Also. So that's Exitel, Ruronet. Than the two ISNs. And I don't get to be president of anything anymore, but I was going to be president of ISN Wireless for right. at least five years. Uh, and uh, I was looking forward to that. But uh, So, as far as you know, uh, because I guess you have no relationship then with ISN Wireless because of, of the acquisition. That, other than fond memories, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you don't really know anything about their plans, and, and I mean, presumably they're going to continue in some form. But well, the fact is, I know. Quite a bit about their plans, yeah. and everything I know about is covered under a non-disclosure agreement, which I, I would uh, I will take to my grave. But uh, I think their plans are going to become self-evident. I mean, we've already made certain promises publicly, and uh, their plans have become self-evident. They're they're not extraordinary. I think. A, a, a but I mean, it, would it be accurate to say that that the the acquisition of ISN Internet by Eastlink has not destroyed Exitel's plans to proceed how it how it decided? It may, may modify the plans, but yeah, I think there's a slight modification, but I think it's it's uh, in in the end it makes no difference. It makes no difference. So, um, the the acquisition uh, would have perhaps given them a slightly more convenient access to a fairly good customer base, uh, but uh, um, in the end, uh, a lot of those customers, perhaps 60% of them, are in areas right now where they're not currently served by high-speed internet. Uh, and uh, and when high-speed internet comes to those communities, uh, I would expect quite a number of those customers to end up as ISM wireless customers. Right. Yeah. The difference is they will have to 
change their email address, unfortunately. Right. Unless uh, unless Eastlink also grandfathers the ISN internet policy of forwarding your email anywhere in the world for twenty four ninety five a year, which I hope they do, and I'm going to ask them to. But uh, I, we were the one internet company. Uh, we were the first internet company to register domains for people, and we were the first internet company to allow portability of of your email address. Uh, the philosophy there was if we make it easy to leave, you'll understand uh, that, that, that we will not. It'll be our customer service that keeps you and not any amount of letterhead or business cards that you've already printed up with addresses on it. We took two very distinct steps to untie the customer from having to deal with us. And that was counter to any business model that anybody well, would advocate. It still is. It makes some sense because it makes, also makes it easier for the customer to come back if they, haven't, they don't have another email address to have Lots of customers leave and come yeah. back. That was part one of a conversation with Kevin O'Brien, recorded January 22, 2008, at the Noodle House in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. Background music was Kevin's own composition, Big Eric McEwen. I'm Peter Rukavina. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.